Good afternoon, Globe Church. Welcome to this um, service. It's great to have you with us. My name's John T. Um, let's start with some words from Revelation chapter 7. And boy, do we need to hear these words. Let's hear these words that point us to the great future that God has planned for humanity. This is the reality that we need to see clearly this afternoon. So let's listen together to Revelation chapter 7. We read this. Then I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a vision. What a future God speaks of. A a vision of humanity united before Jesus, worshipping him. Why don't we bow our heads and pray and ask that God would give us a taste, a glimpse of that future reality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your word is not an irrelevant book that has nothing to say to our world, but is a word, it's the word that speaks to us what we desperately need to know. Thank you for your vision for the future. Thank you for this vision of this vast multitude from every nation, language, tribe and tongue standing before Jesus and declaring salvation belongs to our God. And together, as your people in, in this little place, we want to declare that is our hope. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Father, we join our voices to worship you. We join our voices with countless others around the globe today who will declare the name of Jesus as their saviour. Lord, you are our hope. You are our joy. You are the only hope we have in this world. And so we worship you. We acknowledge you as the one who sits on the throne. And we long for that day when we will stand in that multitude And we will sing forever of the one who died to save us. Father, we're so sorry when we lose sight of that reality. We're so sorry when our hearts become hard and cynical. Lord, we pray this afternoon that you'd give us hearts that worship you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I found this week... um, pretty tough. I think the issue of racism, uh, the issues of justice and division have been all over our news and they filled up our social media feeds. And the world is talking about this stuff. This is the stuff that matters to our world, to our culture at the moment. There's a lot of deep emotion about these things. So the, the Radio 1 DJ, Clara um, Ampho, she spoke so passionately about her reaction to the killing of George Floyd in the United States and, and other um, injustices that have been perpetrated in recent months. And to hear the raw emotion and pain in her voice is hard to listen to. 
or John Boyega um, in Hyde Park speaking to the crowds. Again, you could hear the, the pain and the emotion in his voice. The world is speaking about this stuff, but what about the church? What are we saying on these issues of racism and justice? What, what are we saying? You see, the reality is we have something to say. Not, not me, I don't. I don't claim to be some authority on this subject. But I do believe that God has something to say. That is, I believe that the God who is the creator and the God who is the king has something to say on these issues. And we need to listen to him. We need to listen so that we can think rightly and understand a little more about God's purposes for this world. And that we might then be able to engage carefully with our world and see where we're getting this wrong and perhaps repent and change. And so we are going to give our time this afternoon to this issue, to understanding what God has to say on this issue. This is only the start of a conversation. We're not going to be able to cover anywhere near everything that needs to be said. And lots of the things that I say will be inadequate and will be flawed. But I want you to know that as your pastor, I I want to speak on these things because I know that they matter to many of us. And so I want us to engage with them and start a conversation. And so we're going to go back to Romans chapter 13. It's the passage that we've been in for the last few weeks. And rather than just bash on into chapter 14, which was sort of the original plan, I want us to stop again in Romans 13 and and listen again to what God says and to apply what God says there to this issue of racism and how we interact with what's going on in our world. So Linda's going to read uh, Romans 13 for us. We're going to listen again um, to those words and then we're going to seek to explore them together and and ask that God would teach us. So let's hear God's word now. Hi, I'm going to read for us from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through to 10. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Let's ask for his help. Oh, Father God, please help us this afternoon. Please, would you speak to us? We so desperately need to hear your voice. Above the voices of all the world around us, we need to hear your voice, your truth, your reality. Lord, we're your children. We're hungry to hear what you would say to us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In many ways, what I want us to do together this afternoon is really very, very simple. I want us to take one of those commands from Romans 13 and to chew on it and to think about it and to apply it. It's the command, love your neighbor as yourself. That is how God says that we are to live. As human beings, that is to be how we live, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in many ways, it sounds like such a simple command, and yet contained within that command is all that we need 
to understand how God would have us live in this world. So we're going to think about that command carefully. We're going to ask three questions. Firstly, why? Why should we love our neighbors as ourselves? Secondly, we're going to think about who. Who is the neighbor that we're supposed to love? And thirdly, we're going to think about how we're to love. And we're going to apply it very much to all that's happening and all the, all the talk and discussion and struggle and anguish around this issue of racism. So let's start with this question, why? Why should we love our neighbor as ourselves? And the answer is very simple. It's because God commands it. The God who made us, the God who created us, the God who formed us and fashioned us, the God who shaped us and planned us, commands us to live this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't a human idea. This wasn't the kind of collective genius of a group of human philosophers. This isn't a nice way to live. This isn't the way to make society work best. This is what God commands. And God's commands are not kind of random, uh, bald, dull commands. They overflow from the very heart of God. What is God's purpose for humanity? What is God's will? What is God's desire? It is that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. It is how God made us to be. And why does God command this? Well, there is a deeply theological underpinning to this command. You see, God commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves because human beings are created in the image of God. We have a value, we have an identity, we bear the imprint of God in how we've been made. That is who we are as human beings and it makes us distinct from the rest of creation. So God doesn't command all of the dogs to love one another. He doesn't come to the dogs and say, by the way, love one another as you love yourself. He, he doesn't say that because the dogs are not created in the image of God. But he does say it to humanity because we matter. So let me st state this as clearly as I can. All humanity is in God's image. That means that George Floyd was created in the image of God, valuable as a human being, bearing God's imprint. Which means the brutal murder of George Floyd is not just awful and wrong, it is an attack and an affront to the God who made him, to the creator. That is what it means that we're created in the image of God. This is how um, God speaks in Genesis 9. He says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. God says, I care so passionately about human life because humans bear my image. So let's be clear when we choose to hate a human being we are choosing to hate God himself 
Justice matters to God. And loving your neighbor is a question of justice. So that is how God created humanity in his image to love one another. Now the problem is that human beings, when we rejected God and sin entered the world, the the first effect of sin was suddenly that barriers start going up. Suddenly, rather than loving one another, instead we fight one another. We put up barriers. So the first man and woman immediately put on clothes to hide from one another. There was suspicion and distrust. The first two babies born, Cain and Abel, Cain grew up to murder his brother. And this is what sin has done to our world. Sin means that we now live for ourselves. We place our center, ourselves at the center and we build barriers between us and others. We gather around us the people who are like us, the people who can serve us, the people who make us feel good, but we keep at a distance those who are different from us. But love, the sort of love that God is talking about in Romans 13, smashes through those barriers. Love is a barrier-smashing, wall-breaking power. Love builds bridges to those who are different. Love moves towards those who are different to us. And of course, that's exactly how God has loved us. You see, when we were God's enemies, when we had turned away from him, God loved us. He came to smash down the wall that stood between us, to tear down the curtain that was between us, to break the barrier that was between us. Our sin deserves his punishment forever. We deserve God's wrath and anger, but instead God moved towards us in love. He shows us how it's done. He sent his son who dies on the cross. Jesus loved us while we were still his enemies. And in Jesus, we are united to God. And as we are united to God, we become united to one another. And God says to us, love your neighbor as yourself. So why should we love our neighbor as ourself? Because it's God's command. It's God's heart. It's God's purpose. It's God's design. We're made in the image of God to love. Now let me say we have all failed here. We've all failed to obey this command. Each of us have acted selfishly. Each of us has placed ourselves first. And we must look within and see where we have failed. I think one of the things that I found really very hard this week is facing up to the reality of our failure. Do you know, there is a huge part of our city that is grieving. A huge community within our city and across our world that is angry and that feels hurt. The murder of George Floyd is tragic and is deeply significant. 
And it has brought about a public focus on the issue of racism and particularly issue, the issue of racism towards the black community, both in the United States and in the UK. And we need to see our failure to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've got to see it. The reality is that this is not something new. This has been the daily experience for many people for many years. But moments such as this, when the spotlight is particularly turned upon these issues, this is an opportunity for us to at least say something. We cannot simply ignore the issue. We must not deny that it exists and pretend like it's no big deal. We must not close our eyes and our mouths. We need to listen to what God our creator says. We need to speak this. But let's be honest as we think about this command, love your neighbor as yourself. It would be wrong to assume that this is simply an issue for the world out there. No, this is an issue within the church. Rather than standing as the light in the dark, showing the world the glory of Jesus, rather than loving each other in a way that makes the world notice. Instead, you know, sometimes we've got this wrong. I'm on a Facebook group uh, with a bunch of other Christians from other churches, other church leaders and stuff. And someone posted this um, this week. She wrote this, a a black um, lady wrote this. I've come to realize that I've continued to be okay being in white evangelical churches where I don't necessarily feel welcomed as equal and the same as everyone. Since that's been my normal Christian experience, I've learned to be okay with it. And we, we have to listen, okay? Now, the danger is that what happens is that we become very defensive. We say, no, 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 that's not, that's not real. We've got to listen to how people feel. I, I chatted to some people from Globe this week. And it was very moving and hard to hear about their experience of being in our church family. Of feeling like they don't really belong. Now, I'm not, this is not... I'm not saying this is the experience of every single ethnic minority within Globe. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there are some people who feel this. Who feel like they don't really belong. Who feel like they need to conform to be something that's not truly who they are. In order to sort of fit in. And I chatted to people this week who have wept and wept because of this reality. Their experience of racism, their experience of being excluded because of the color of their skin. We've got to listen to that. And we've got to admit that we get it wrong. Do you know one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that there is grace and forgiveness. You see, the danger is that we beat ourselves up and we say, oh, we're so terrible and we feel so guilty and we load ourselves up with guilt and we, we, we feel it and we just feel rubbish. And we go, oh, I'm so rubbish, I'm so rubbish. We don't need to feel that because Jesus came to forgive us. 
As we see where we've got stuff wrong, we go to Jesus for forgiveness, right? So one danger is that we just become overwhelmed with guilt and failure. But another danger is that we just become defensive and sort of make excuses for it. Well, it's probably not our fault. You know, we're welcoming. We, we don't feel like that. I'm not racist. Can I say, actually, the right response is to examine our hearts and say, we've not loved one another this way. There are people in our church who feel excluded and not welcome. Not just because of the color of their skin, but for other issues too. It is easy for us to be drawn to the people who are like us, the people that we enjoy being with, and for others to feel like they're not welcome. But the particular issue we're addressing today is racism and particularly towards black people within our church family. So if you have felt excluded and if you have felt unwelcome in our church family, I want to say sorry to you. And I want to say that we want to learn how to love our neighbor as ourselves because God's purpose is not that people should feel excluded. So why should we obey this command? Because it's God's command. Because it's God's heart. And I, and I, I want to ask you to stick with us as a church family. Help us together to work out what this looks like. Let's learn together. Let's talk honestly and openly about this stuff so that we can learn together how to do this. So why should we obey? Because it's God's command. Secondly, who? Who are we supposed to love? Who's our neighbor? Well, we don't have to struggle really to answer that question. And you might say to me, well, it's obvious, it's everyone. Fine, job done. Second point's really short. Let's move on. Well, let's just slow down for a second because Jesus was asked that question, who is my neighbor? And he told a story. And it is a brilliant story that helps to expose some of what goes on in our hearts. It's the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus has just said, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And this teacher of the law says, well, okay, but who is my neighbor? Let me read you the story. Jesus said to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who is the neighbor in the story? The neighbor is the one who sees the man in need and who doesn't cross the street 
to move away, but instead crosses the divide to care. And we lose some of the shock of this because of our failure to understand the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. The ethnic hatred between those two groups. They hated one another. And so Jesus tells this provocative story to say your neighbor is the one who crosses that boundary. But there's something there's something more in this story. There's a detail that has really challenged me this week. You see, if I'd been telling the story, it would have gone like this. There was a Samaritan. You remember your enemies, the people you hate. There was a Samaritan who was on a road. He got beaten up by some robbers and he's lying half dead in the street. And then here comes a, a good Jewish person and, and they go and help the Samaritan. That's what it means to love your neighbor. You see, that's how I'd have told the story. But Jesus subverts it even more than that. You see, this is not a story that says to love your neighbor means to be nice to people in need, even people like Samaritans. You see, what Jesus does is he doesn't make the Samaritan the person in need. He makes the Samaritan the hero. And he says to the Jewish teacher of the law, you need to be like the Samaritan." Why would Jesus tell it that way? Why does Jesus make the Samaritan the hero? I think it's because he wants to profoundly humble us. We're so quick to assume that we're the ones who have all the resources. We're so quick to assume that we're the hero. We're so quick to assume that we're the ones who can help the poor people in need. But Jesus says, no, you've got to stop. To love your neighbor will mean a humility. We place ourselves central to every story. We place ourselves at the center of all solutions. But Jesus says, be humble. Even learn from the Samaritan. And loving our neighbor requires great humility. I still think there is a great... Um, tendency within all of us to think that everything revolves around us and often to love our neighbor means first to see how much we need our neighbor to see how much we need others to stop acting as though we're the ones who've got everything and we just need to go and help all the poor little people who need our help. No, Jesus says you are the one who's lying half dead on the street. You're the one who needs a neighbor before you are the neighbor. Of course, supremely, Jesus is the good Samaritan who crossed the divide from heaven to earth to come and to, to bind up the wounds of his enemies. But now Jesus says, you need a neighbor as much as you are to love your neighbor. So perhaps some of us, we need to repent of our hero attitude and learn to understand that our neighbor is anyone and everyone around us and that we would love them, need them. So who is our neighbor? It's anyone. 
Neighbourly love crosses all boundaries, even the hardest and the most difficult boundaries. Neighbourly love accepts help as well as gives help. And let's just turn to the last question then. As we've thought about why obey this command, well, because it's God's command. Who are we to love? Well, we're to cross the boundaries. But let's just think about this last question. How are we to love? Let's go back to the original command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is a very high calling. That is a very high standard. That is a radical ethic that lies at the heart of the Bible's teaching. We love our neighbor as ourself. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we treat others as if they were us. We think about their needs ahead of our own. That's costly. So uh, when we think about loving ourselves, um, you may have come across Maslow's uh, hierarchy of human needs. He was a um, psychologist who did some studies and said there are five basic human needs that kind of he had in the pyramids that go from physiological needs like food and then uh, the second thing was safety, security and that sort of stuff. And then the third thing was belonging. We need to feel like we belong. And then the fourth thing was esteem. And then the fifth thing is self-actualization. He says, if you're going to be a truly love yourself, then those are the five things you need. Imagine you take those five things and apply them to others. We should care about people's basic needs, their food. We should care about people's security, that people feel safe. We should care about a sense of belonging. To truly love someone means that they will feel like they belong. To have a church family where there may be some people who would say, I just don't feel like I belong here, is a failure of us to love them. But then to esteem, to honour people, to honour them above ourselves, to seek their honour. And then fifthly, their flourishing, that they might become all that God has for them, that they might not be held back or restricted, but that they might flourish in all the gifts that God's given I find that quite a helpful analysis of how it might mean for us to love our neighbour as ourselves. Physical, their safety, belonging, esteem and fulfilling all the potential God has. And isn't it easy for us to do that for some people in church but not for others? Isn't it easy for us to value some people but not others? And where we do that on the basis of race, we must repent. Let's learn to love our neighbour as ourself. So I want to ask us as a church family to, to make some commitments here. Gee, one of my fears is that we would talk about this stuff and we'd feel guilty about it or we'd feel bad about it or it'd be kind of on our thinking for a few weeks as it's in the news but then we'd forget about it again. This is, 
this is a commitment that we need to ongoingly engage with. That this would be a, a, a change, that God would bring about a change in our church and in the church more broadly. That we would care about these issues, that we would care about those in our culture, in our church, in our society who are abused and forgotten and badly treated. So let me just suggest um, four ways that I think we should respond to this. And we're to respond with, um, in, in all of these with great humility, acknowledging that we get this wrong all the time. So here are four ways. Firstly, I think we need to learn to grieve. I think we need to learn to mourn and be sad when we see all that's happening in the world. When we watch this stuff on our news, it should cause our hearts to break. Even when it's not our, you know, we, we don't feel it personally. We should feel it personally because there are people in our church family who feel it personally and because our culture feels it and because they're our neighbor, whoever they are, they're created in the image of God. They have value and therefore we should feel it personally. As an affront against God, as an affront against humanity, we should learn to grieve. Can I encourage you this week to grieve, to mourn over what we see? So let's, let's be those who grieve. Secondly, I think we need to be people who listen. We need to listen to what other people are saying. We need to learn what's going on. One of the reasons that racism gets such a foothold is because we tend to only listen to the voices that say what we want to hear. We tend to only listen to the voices of the people who are like us and so they reinforce our thinking. And actually for us to learn to listen to people who are different to us, think about the books that we read. Think about the people that we listen to, that we'd engage. And what I don't mean is that we should suddenly all descend on the black people in our church family and say, hey, tell me what it's like. It's not their problem. It's not their problem to fix this. We need to learn. We need to listen. We need to engage. We need to read. We need to think. We need to pray. So let's grieve over this. Let's listen to what's going on. Thirdly, let's repent. Let's say sorry where we've got it wrong. Let's say sorry to God, first and foremost, because we have offended him. But let's say sorry to one another. We need to be a church family where we can say, actually, you really hurt me. And we can apologize and we can pray together and we can find forgiveness in Jesus. That would be a beautiful church family. So let's repent. Let's examine our hearts. Let's say, show me, Lord, where I'm wrong on this. And then fourthly, let's move. Let's move towards one another. Let's speak out for one another. Let's move and, and, and look for those who are different to us and engage with one another. Let's do stuff. Let's think about the people that we text, the people that we contact, the people that we phone. Is it always the same people? How do we move towards? How do we do this in our workplaces? How do we do this in our culture, in our society? How do we be those who walk across, who cross boundaries to go to others? Who speak out, who aren't quiet? 
when things are said or done that are not right, that we stand up and say, that is wrong, that is evil, that is not what God designed us to be. Yeah, let's be those who move, who do stuff, who speak and think. There's four ways I suggest that we respond to this. That we would grieve, that we'd listen, that we'd repent, and that we'd move. Why don't we bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you that that is your heart. Thank you that our neighbor is anyone. Anyone created in your image. That we are to love them. And Father, we're to love them in that whole way. To love their whole to love the wholeness of who they are. Father, please um, let us be a church family who love like that. We do grieve over our culture and we grieve where we've got this wrong. Lord, we're sorry and we ask that you'd help us to change. In Jesus' name, amen.